Live from WNUR News, I'm Erica Schmidt. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Friday, April 28, 2023. Tonight on WNUR News, research suggests multitasking isn't as productive as you think. A look into what this year's freshman musical looks like a German card game to play in your free time, and another weather report from the Fairweather Friends. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. With technology becoming innately connected to the classroom, many students find themselves attempting to multitask during class. But research suggests that multitasking may not be as effective as one might think. Here is a rerun of Ella Barnes's story. You're sitting in the middle of your Journalism 202 lecture. It's silent. You could hear a pin drop. Everyone's taking notes in their computer. And then you hear... Someone forgot to turn off the volume on their computer before they finished their New York Times mini crossword instead of paying attention during class. Embarrassing, and something that has totally never ever happened to me, ever. The 21st century brought new technology into our lives and schools, and along with it, new distractions. On the one hand, both teachers and students now have the whole internet at their disposal, allowing for classwork and assignments to be online. This has greatly improved research resources and the accessibility of education. Today, you can even get a college degree online. On the other hand, though, Having technology to connect you to the rest of the world at all times provides unlimited opportunities for distraction. Students have games to play and social media to scroll through that they can instead focus their attention on instead of completing classwork. Hi, I'm Abigail Lev. I'm a first year from Long Island, New York. Many students like journalism major Abigail Lev turned to the New York Times game section for their methods of in-class distraction. I always play the New York Times spelling bee My roommate and I actually have a little competition every day in which we go to our first class and try to see who can get genius first. And then if we're struggling, we'll text each other and be like, compare question mark, or um, can I get some help or anything like that. So I, if I'm not paying attention in class, you can find me on the New York Times games website. Theater major Oliver Tam also says he plays games to keep himself occupied during class. I play solitaire. I play chess, I play, um, what else do I play? I do crosswords. Those are the main three, I'd say. I'd I'd say those are the main three. Some might say those are more like educational leaning games. Do you think there's a reason you play those games specifically during class? Yeah, it's because I can, like, if I'm playing like a real game, I feel more invested in it versus those games where it's just sort of like something to do and I can still kind of focus while not, like, completely, like, going off into a different world. So do you feel you can, like, multitask and, like, also pay attention while playing those games? I would say I don't have my full attention on the class, which I probably should, but I I don't. But I can have at least some amount of attention where I'm not going to be, like, I'm I'm, I'm not even going to even remotely absorb anything that's going on. And do you think this has anything to do with, like, shortening attention spans? Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't do this before. Before I'd say, like, I don't even know. 
before I started like before honestly like the rise of like TikTok and Instagram Reels and like all the YouTube Shorts if you're if you do that um, and yeah because once I started getting into that and you know the the uh, the attention the attention spans of people start getting shorter mine included I feel like I think that's me being like understimulated and wanting to like do something uh, or multitask. Multitasking is a dangerous path to go down. Humans, in fact, are destined to be monotaskers. This means that we can really only focus on one thing at a time. According to neuropsychologist Cynthia Kubu, quote, when we think we're multitasking, most often we aren't really doing two things at once, but instead we're doing individual actions in rapid succession or task switching. One study from Psychonomic Bulletin and Review found that just 2.5% are actually able to multitask effectively. For the rest of us, our attempts to do multiple activities at once aren't actually that. According to another study found in Mater Sociomed, when our brain is consistently switching gears to bounce back and forth between tasks, especially when those tasks are complex and require our active attention, we become less efficient and more likely to make a mistake. So, bouncing between games, social media, typing notes, and actually paying attention in class is not the best method of learning. According to Dr. Gloria Mark, a psychologist and the Chancellor's Professor of Informatics at the University of California, Irvine, our attention spans have been shortening for a long time. In her book, Attention span, the groundbreaking way to restore balance, happiness, and productivity. Mark explained how decades of research has tracked the decline of the ability to focus. She said, quote, In 2004, we measured the average attention on a screen to be two and a half minutes. Some years later, we found attention spans to be only 75 seconds. Now, we find people can only pay attention to one screen for an average of 47 seconds, unquote, said Mark. Frightening information. So, how can we get that attention span back on track? Well, there's a couple of ways. Regaining your focus requires you to be mindful of how you are using your technology. A daunting ask if you consider the average American spends at least 10 hours a day on screens. A student, for example, might combat technology used by printing out their reading assignments instead of reading them on a screen. This way, full attention can be devoted to the reading and there won't be the temptation to click away to another tab. Another method in particular that students can try in class is to take their notes on paper. That way, you force yourself to actively listen to your professor and actually take notes since there's no games to tab away to. Plus, you won't have to deal with the embarrassment of the New York Times mini crossword jingle playing in the middle of a lecture hall. Each spring, first-year students put together one of the most exciting theater productions on campus. This year, the freshman musical is bringing the show Little Shop of Horrors to Northwestern. Jesse Chen has the story. He's a nerdy florist and a hopeless romantic. She's stuck in an unhappy relationship with a mad dentist. Add in a bloodthirsty alien plant and that's this year's Freshman Musical. The Freshman Musical is an annual production put on by all freshmen at Northwestern University. That's Phoebe Richa, a first-year theater major and director of this year's Freshman Musical, Little Shop of Horrors. 
kind of this crazy Northwestern tradition of basically a couple of, of upperclassmen like pick the producers from the first year class to put on a full musical. And then they kind of just have to run with it. That's Emerson Steady, a first year theater major and music director. It's both theater majors, RTBF majors, voice majors, and any other kind of major, very open, um, very inclusive. Um, and the purpose of this musical is really to like bond the freshman class, to work with people, um, to have a really good time. Although Phoebe and Emerson are no strangers to their respective production roles, for many, freshman musical is a chance to try something new. Such was the case for first-year RTVF major Ashley Cho, who is co-producing the show. Like, I guess speaking from personal experience, I didn't do any theater in high school or, like, before. So, um, definitely, like, coming to Northwestern, I saw that theater was a really big thing, but I didn't really know how to get involved because um, I didn't have any connections or, like, know much about, like, how it worked. And first-year communication studies major Jay Joan, who was the other co-producer. So when I first came to Northwestern, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do in terms of theater, because I've been theater kid from, like, since my high school year, but I wasn't sure how to continue, because, like, I was more of directing side, but did I want to do it with theater majors? So like looking into like business aspects of theater, and then I saw like twist advertisement of hey, freshman musical is looking for a producer, and I was like, hmm, I never produced before. Maybe it sounds fun, so I just signed up. Taking part in freshman musical can also be a stepping stone for many students hoping to pursue more theater opportunities at Northwestern. The like kind of Northwestern theater theater ecosystem is oftentimes just built around you having experience. Like there's a lot of opportunities out there, but they just require experience. And freshman musical is the perfect place for people to like break in to having that experience, especially for like directing and music directing. Often those are sophomores, often those are just like seniors. The process of putting on a large show like Freshman Musical also presents a set of unique and personal challenges in terms of timeline and venue. This is always going to be a thing with Freshman Musical, but the turnaround is just so much faster than any other show because we don't pick the show until like the start of winter quarter. Emerson says that most shows generally pick their productions in the spring quarter of the previous year and have all summer to plan. Definitely Harris Hall being Harris Hall. Phoebe also refers to the difficulties of putting on a show in a lecture space. Um, the stage is very wide, um, but extremely uh, shallow. So it's really hard to fit everybody on stage, especially because the freshman musical is supposed to have a large ensemble to include as many people as possible. And we can't have any professional lights, um, which is really difficult. Um, so it's definitely been a challenge trying to work around that and seeing how we can have the set come across, have the location come across, um, have the time of day come across in like the most minimal way possible. Ashley and Jay also speak to the challenges that being new to producing presents. Basically, I think a lot of the challenge just came with learning what goes into the process of creating a show from the ground up. I wasn't even sure what producing entails, so it was more of like trials and errors and learn as I do things. So it was really confusing at first, but I really had good mentor, Rachel and Steven, who are a producer of last year. And I also have Ashley, my co-producer, so yeah. So far, two weeks out from show day, rehearsals seem to be sailing smoothly. There has been so much fantastic collaboration. Um, 
everybody involved in this process is so creative and so um, they really take initiative. Everybody is just so talented. Like everybody's at different skill levels, but every single actor shows up to rehearsal ready to work, ready to be creative and put themselves out there. Um, I mean, it's actually like really surprising, honestly, how how quickly everyone figures everything out, I think. I mean, the, the common thread is just that everyone involved is like really, really excited about theater, which includes a lot of non-theater majors. This year, Freshman Musical is bringing the 1982 Howard Ashman production, Little Shop of Horrors, to Northwestern. I love Little Shop of Horrors. It is in my top five favorite musicals. It's this like really eclectic mix of music written by Alan Menken, who like later went on to write all of these like Disney films that I think for a lot of us were our childhood. But this was before that. He was writing this like crazy horror musical. Um, and it's got like a ton of like 60s music in it. Um, it's got a lot of like doo-wop, um, just like rock and roll, this like R&B. And we also thought the vibes of the show was like very freshman musical in a way because it's pretty silly. Like it's kind of like a dark comedy in a way, like there's elements of um, comedy, but it's also a little like horror. Little Shop is so campy and funny. Yet despite all the elements of camp that make the show so great, Little Shop of Horrors is also grounded in its compelling characters. The freshman musical historically has always been like, try to do like a camp show. It's a fun one because there are like going to be so many moments of camp, but we also like have really been working on like finding the the like heart of the main characters, Audrey and Seymour, because they often are played very cartoonish. Um, and both like in the acting and in the music, we want to make sure that like they are able to shine through the camp sort of, to just ground it a little bit and like really drive home this message. A message that Phoebe says might resonate with many Northwestern students. A lot of the show revolves around like greed and like getting what you deserve. And you know, as people positioned to have like fantastic careers of immense success, you know, what are the consequences of success? Um, wh what is it that you're entitled to? How far are you willing to go to get what you believe you deserve? And I think that's a question that we, as freshmen and as students at Northwestern, need to ask ourselves. From the passionate and creative first years behind this goofy, heartfelt production, Freshman Musical extends a warm invitation to you. Freshman Musical, um, May 12th and 13th at Harris Hall 107. Friday show is at 10 p.m. and Saturday shows are at 2 p.m. and 10 p.m. 10 o'clocks are gonna be crazy. We've got two for you, so bring your friends. Follow and your Freshman Musical Instagram account and you'll see fun content and like tickets information. For WNUR News, I'm Jesse Chen. As spring quarter begins to enter its final month, students are looking for new ways to spend time together. Four residents of Jones Hall sat down to play the German card game Bonanza this past Wednesday, a game where each player attempts to harvest and sell beans for profit. They uncovered a world as unpredictable as nature itself. Paul O'Connor takes the story. This game is, is more about skill or luck. Um, I think it's a significant portion each. Um, I think the fact that I dominate indicates it's clearly skill. However, if I lost, I do think there'd be a lot more luck involved. <laughs> this past Wednesday, four Jonesians, including myself, gathered in the far lounge to the right to play a game. A card game, specifically. But this isn't any ordinary card game. 
It's a game that's simultaneously cooperative and coercive. It's one that you can master, but that often reveals a will of its own. It's Bonanza. Yeah, there's some intense gazing, guys. If you the, the, if listen to the radio, you can't see oh. that, but the gazes are getting intense. All four of us come from Jones Hall, although I'm the only one that doesn't live on the fourth floor. Wait, also, before we start, can you just, like, introduce yourselves and, like, your names? Mm. Well, I'm Isabel, and this is my bean game. Um, I'm Elena. I'm Alex. Um, I'm a freshman. This was not our first rodeo. Our first time playing the game was weeks ago, back on Easter Day. It came on a whim after the Jones Hall fourth floor Easter egg hunt had concluded. So who won last time? You were the winner. I always win, yeah. How do you think you did that? Um, I think I did that because I'm really good at um, planning ahead how I'm going to use the cards in my hand. What do you think I did wrong? <laughs> okay, so um, I don't think you were really... Um, playing with intention shall we say i wanted to play again partially because of my embarrassing first performance but i also wanted to understand how this game works perhaps to see how deep it goes i want you i want you all to tell me why you agreed to do this oh um well because it's my game and i always enjoy um a good opportunity to educate the masses um i mean i'm just like really passionate about beans which is why you know like i invited myself to the bean table i just it's just a really immersive experience that i feel like i can't get in any other situation except the jones hall fourth floor lounge do you, who do you think's gonna win today <laughs> um i would say isabel just because like experience um i'm not gonna win isabel always wins <laughs> Created by German game designer Uwe Rosenberg in 1997, the goal of each player is relatively straightforward. You must harvest and sell beans in order to maximize your own profits. Each player has two bean plots. Although you can trade with other players for beans you might want to grow, you never have much control over which type of beans you can grow. When thinking about whether you should sell a plot, you have to be thinking about which varieties you can realistically grow. This was something I didn't really grasp my first time playing. I think that the issue was you got too excited about like the low, like the super high level beans. Yeah, like you were just like, beans. I need to have it, despite the fact that you had none of them in your deck. But one of the most striking features of the game are the cards themselves. They have a kind of zany artistic style, not without their own sense of humor. I think a lot of the art is these puns, these bean puns in German that that. Ex don't exactly translate you know the green bean is throwing up if you look at the artwork okay and i guess that's because the literal translation in german is is break bean because of the way they snap off the the vines break i guess is also german slang for for vomiting so that's why the the green bean is vomiting that was jared bronski isabel's father the set we played with belongs to her family which she took when going off to college so, you know, I mentioned we used to play these games when I was like in junior high and high school. I was from the suburbs, but I used to have to go into Boston to buy games and stuff because there was no place sort of locally that had a good selection. So I, I would go to this uh, place in Cambridge called Games People Play. The person who was working the counter, I'm pretty sure she was the owner. She always had these, these two little dogs. I think they were Pomeranians. 2013, when we were there for sabbatical, I went back to pick up a copy of this game. And so that was several decades since I had been in that store. I, I walked in, and it's the same lady sitting behind the counter, and she had uh, I, presumably two new Pomeranians. 
Unfortunately, that Cambridge game store closed in 2019. But according to Jeff Swerick, these types of stores aren't going away. Jeff Swerick works for Pirate Lab, a local Evanston business that specializes in preserving valuable or vintage cards or game sets. Well, so one thing that we really noticed was that there was, you know, spikes in popularity, particularly around card games over the last decade. You know, the theory is that a lot of younger people in the workforce are working in a completely digital environment. They're sitting behind a desk all day, staring at a computer screen all day. And so um, when they get home, fewer of those professionals or younger people are wanting to spend more time staring at a screen. So um, card games in particular and board games as an extension of that, give them that tactile um, interaction with other people. Back to the game. It started predictably with Isabel quickly accumulating rich plots of beans. However, it was Elena that made the most offensive first moves, quickly positioning herself to buy the controversial third bean plot. I just sold back. Um, I don't remember what kind of beans they were, but whatever I had in this plot, mm -hmm. I just sold them back and I got a coin because I'm trying to save up for a third bean plot. What? Why are you so obsessed with money, Elena? It became clear quickly that these types of plays were paying off. I might actually take defeat. To Elena. Elena's yeah, to Elena going. is kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. It wasn't too long before accusations started flying. I don't know why Alex is trying to skip me. I'm sensing a certain theme of preying on my downfall. <laughs> As the final results began to take shape, reality set in. I feel really sad and just despairing. Why? <laughs> I think Paul is going to be. <laughs> By the end of the game, each player had their own reflections to share. I think that like, I feel like my prediction was right. Like I thought Alex was gonna win. I did have the most um, expansive fields mm -hmm. and I feel pretty proud about that. Sometimes it's just about like your investments and here like my investment short term didn't work out for me, but like in the long term, you never know. I feel like the moral of the story here is sometimes just thoughtless expansionism is not really productive. <laughs> sometimes it's important to go back to your roots um, invest locally, you know, um, really develop what you have, quality over quantity. My thoughts are that this game is really bad. <laughs> it's kind of just a measure of blind luck, and I don't think you should play this game. I don't think you should buy this game. For a game as down-to-earth as Bonanza, it offers ample opportunities to think about the nature of life and fate. With a motto like, to bean or not to bean, how could it not? Perhaps, Success in the bean game isn't too dissimilar from success in life itself. You can be as skilled and assertive as you want, but sometimes there's no avoiding the dictate of fate. For WNUR News, I'm Paul O'Connor. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.26 p.m. Central Time. Believe it or not, based on the temperatures outside, May is almost here. Here's reporters Nick Song and Helen Bradshaw with the weather. Welcome back to Fairweather Friends, the show where we bring you your weekly forecast and some great banter along the way. Who's the weather? How are you doing today, Helen? Good. What about you, Nick? Good. Moving on to weather. For the Evanston area, temperatures are looking pretty steady for the next week. Lows in the 40s and highs in the mid-50s. You can expect some scattered rain over the weekend through to Monday. 
Starting on hump day, though, it's looking like the sun will shine back through. Expect temps in the high 50s with partly cloudy skies. A friendly warning to those with allergies, take your Claritin or whatever you take. Tree pollen will likely have medium to high levels this week. Achoo. Looking to the rest of the country, the southern United States experienced severe hail this week. Ice balls the size of grapefruits plummeted down near Waco, Texas on Wednesday. The Florida Panhandle has seen some severe storms too, with tornadoes, water spouts, and hail. Here's a clip from my dad. Is that it? Okay, it, it doesn't sound bad, but I swear they were texting me about how hard it was raining earlier. Hmm. Look, my mom sent me this really cute photo of my cat watching the storm through the window. Aww. And see, she just texted me saying they're on a tornado warning. So it is bad. Oh, that's good. Anyway, it's May and they aren't freezing, so there is that. Didn't you say it was hailing? Yeah, but I mean like the air. You, you know what I mean. Well, if you want to talk about warm weather, you know California's got you covered. Isn't there a heat wave right now? Yep. Most of the Central Valley will see temps in the upper 90s starting Saturday, with areas down south touching in the mid-80s. In Northern California, expect highs in the 90s around the Bay Area through Friday. Wow, that sounds like paradise. Yep. Also, all the melting snow in the mountains means residents should look out for flash floods in their areas. Well, that's all for Fairweather Friends. Join us next week. And by us, we mean just Emily's stole. This, this is, is Fairweather Fair Friends. Friends. Taking a look into the headlines, Northwestern announced yesterday remaining COVID-19 protocols will soon be absorbed into their overachieving health policies. Starting June 13th, isolation housing in 1835 Hinman, testing in the Jacobs Center, and the COVID-19 vaccine requirement for most students will be discontinued. The North Carolina Supreme Court has overturned its own past ruling that said partisan gerrymandering is illegal, clearing the way for Republicans there to redraw the state's congressional lines in a way that heavily favors the GOP. At the border between Chile and Peru, hundreds of Venezuelan migrants are unable to pass, creating a massive border crisis. Peru is not letting the Venezuelans pass through the return home due to a lack of documents. As temperatures climb, a Chilean border city declared an official state of emergency yesterday. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR stories on our website, WNUR.news. That's WNUR.news. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Mika Ellison, and our reporters are Ella Barnes, Jesse Chen, Paul O'Connor, Helen Bradshaw, and Nick Song. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Erica Schmidt. Catch our next newscast on Monday, May 1st at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.